Thank you for joining us for this week's sermon podcast from the First United Methodist Church of Parable. During these Sundays of Advent, we've been reading both from the book of Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, particularly those prophecies that look forward to and celebrate the Messiah. And we've also, of course, been reading from the Gospels as well. And so today we'll continue that uh, reading from Isaiah chapter 7, verses 10 through 16. And then we'll go to Matthew chapter 1. And you will see uh, the real obvious connections, but I invite you to keep those kind of in front of you as we move toward the sermon, maybe even a pen or a pencil handy as we try to connect those two, both through the reading and through the preaching today. So beginning with the Old Testament lesson, Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 10. Hear these words of Scripture. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, saying, Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. Then Isaiah said, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary mortals that you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Look, the young woman is with child and shall bear a son and shall name him Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey by the time he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the child knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land before whose two kings you are in dread will be deserted. And then from the Gospel according to Matthew, this is a, a Matthew's a shortened version of the Christmas story. So I invite you to hear these words from Matthew. Now the birth of Jesus the Messiah took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, <clears throat> but before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband Joseph, being a righteous man, was unwilling to expose her to public disgrace. He planned to dismiss her quietly. But just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save the world from their sins. Now all of this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took Mary as his wife, but had no relations with her until she'd born a son, and, she, and he named him Jesus. May God bless our reading of the Holy Scriptures and let us say together, Amen. Join me in a spirit of prayer. Yes, God, we give thanks for the Holy Scriptures. God, many of these texts we know well, the story of Christmas, the story of the promised Emmanuel, the Messiah. And yet, God, though we know the Scriptures well, they are alive with your Spirit. And so we pray today that we would hear them with, with fresh ears, that you would speak to us again this good news, that you would remind us of this hope that comes to us at Christmas time that you would lead us to respond with courage and grace according to this Savior, Emmanuel, God with us. These things in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Today is the fourth Sunday of Advent. We're looking at these two texts, Isaiah and Matthew, and I want to begin with Isaiah, and I want to spend a little more time unpacking what's going on here because it's kind of a dense text, only a few verses, but it's going to be important to, the, to understanding how it relates to Matthew in just a moment. So let's start there. <clears throat> 
The first thing you should know is that in the Old Testament, there are, of course, many kings, many generations of kings, many hundreds of years where kings are given the task of leading the people, uh, both of, of Israel and then of, of Judea, and, and they lead them not only in, the, in the, maybe the kingly way that we think of in terms of a political position or a military position, but kings are also religious leaders. It's their job to protect the religious tradition of the people, to guide the people, to worship Yahweh, to worship in the temple according to the traditions and the, and the prescriptions given in the law. And so with each king, sometimes their stories are long, sometimes their stories are, are short, sometimes they, they serve for many years, sometimes they only serve for a few years. But with each king, we are typically given a real clear prescription of their time of service. And the scripture says something like this, either, either he being the king uh, did what was right in God's eyes or he being the king did not do what was right in God's eyes. So almost every king is summed up in one of those two ways, either, either he was a good king or he was a bad king. The scriptures are almost black and white. And we can even go to some Bible study materials that would give you a list of all the good kings, the ones who did right in the Lord's eyes, and all the, the bad kings, the ones who did less than, less than so good in the Lord's eyes. And so today we want to talk a little bit about King Ahaz and what kind of king King Ahaz was. Well, I'll share with you right away that King Ahaz was a bad king. All right? He's one of the great failures in the history of the Old Testament. Almost everything that a king should do, uh, Ahaz did the opposite. All right? uh, the story of King Ahaz is found in, in the, the book of Kings, and it's not very long, it's just a few verses, but it describes in real detail all the ways in which Ahaz fails in his leadership. And so I'll, I'll remind you of just a few of those. One thing that Ahaz does is that he just, he worships with other traditions, right? So not only does he oversee worship in the temple, the, the Jewish worship tradition, but he worships in other traditions too, pagan traditions. And so it's recorded in the scripture that, that Ahaz will almost worship any god, anytime, anywhere. He goes out on hillsides, he goes into valleys, and he worships with everyone, right? And so he's not, he's not committed to the, to the tradition of the Israelite people as he should be. He does other things, like he involves his children and and some of the, the sacrificial traditions of pagan religions. And obviously, this is a really bad thing to do. He puts his children in danger. He puts his children in harm's way. And so he's not only a bad king, but he's a bad parent, a bad religious leader. The other thing that's facing Ahaz as you read about his story is he has some military forces that are kind of pressing in on him and Judea. To the north are Samaria and Syria. And they're concerned about the, the rise of power in other countries, and so they're trying to grow their, their land and their people, and so they're about to attack the, attack the people of Judea, and Ahaz is getting anxious about this, as any king would. And so Ahaz decides, if we've got these forces that are coming to attack us, we need to protect ourselves. Who is stronger than the people that are coming to attack us? Assyria. All right, now this is all Old Testament history. I know it's a little bit dry, but it's important, all right? Assyria is the biggest, meanest country around, and so Ahaz goes to the king of Assyria and says, look, if you will protect us and take care of us, then we will serve you. It's a big failure of leadership, right? No longer protecting the people of Israel, guiding the people of Israel to worship God, but what, what Ahaz does is he, he kind of sells out. He goes to the next meanest, biggest country, and he says, if you will take care of us, we will worship you. And then he does some really really bad things. He takes, he takes worship elements. He takes gold and silver, things that are used in worship, and he gives them to the king of Assyria as an offering and as a sacrifice. And not only does he do that, but he takes the altar in the temple and he replaces it with an altar from Assyria. 
And so he eventually kind of converts the worship of, of Yahweh, the worship of the God of the Old Testament, to the worship of the Assyrian king. And so the failures of, of Ahaz's leadership are, are many and, and compounded and complicated. I mean, almost at every front, Ahaz does, does what is not uh, ideal in the sight of the Lord. That's important today because we read these few verses from Isaiah chapter 7 where the prophet Isaiah is talking to the king Ahaz. And so what we're doing here is we're connecting what we know about Ahaz from the stories in the book of Kings to what we read today in Isaiah chapter 7. And so you've got those verses in your bulletin there in front of you, and you may want to kind of refer to them. So during Ahaz's reign, when he's beginning to, to, to kind of change his allegiance and follow the king of Assyria and worship the Assyrian gods, the prophet Isaiah goes to Ahaz and basically says, What are you doing, right? You, you can't do this. You can't give up the temple. You can't worship other gods. And the prophet Isaiah says to him, Ask God for a sign. Ask God for a sign. In other words, what the prophet Isaiah is telling Ahaz, like, instead of going to these other powers, these other military forces, these other countries, these other gods, instead of offering your allegiance in other places, you should ask, ask God for a sign, right? Like, God knows you need help. God is all-powerful. God will come to your rescue. Remember what God did with Moses and the Exodus. Remember the ways that God has intervened. Isaiah is begging Ahaz to ask for help, right? Ask for help. Ask God for help. It's a, it's a tough situation. There are all sorts of military powers kind of breathing in on you. We know it's difficult. You need to lean into your faith. You need to lean into God's power and God's care. And then as recorded in Isaiah, Ahaz says this sort of thing that sounds kind of spiritual. He says like, oh, I don't want to test God, right? Oh, I would never want to do that. And that sounds like he's being spiritual, but it's really kind of a, a false modesty. Because what we know from the historical books is that Ahaz already has a plan, Right? He's going to sell out. He's going to sell out. He's going to sell out the, the kingdom of Judea. He's going to sell out the temple worship. He's going to give up all of the allegiances to the tradition of his people, to Yahweh. He's going to give it over to Assyria because Assyria is powerful enough to help him. And so Isaiah says, like, no, you really should ask for God for a sign. And, and if you're not going to ask for God for a sign, then, then God will give you one anyway. And that's what we read from Isaiah 7, the famous prophecy connected to Christmas time. God will give you a sign, and the sign will be a young child to be born, and when he is born, he will be called Emmanuel, and he will know the difference between good and evil, and one day, these countries that you're worried about, they will be totally deserted. Now, remember with me, we're reading here Isaiah, we're reading in the, in the 700s is when Ahaz was the king, and so we're reading many, many centuries before the stories of the New Testament, before the birth of Jesus. And so just in its own context, the prophet Isaiah is telling King Ahaz, you should ask God for help. And even if you won't ask God for help, God is going to remind you that God's help is nearby. How will God do that? Well, there will be a baby to be born. And the baby will be named Emmanuel. And of course, Emmanuel means God is with us. Now, if we just read Isaiah in its own context, just in the context of the Old Testament and the story of Ahaz, we have to admit that that prophecy is a little bit vague. Like, what does Isaiah mean by there's going to be a baby born and it's going to be a sign of God's love? We don't entirely know. Is it, is it going to be a baby born to Ahaz? Like, is Ahaz going to have a, a child? Is it going to be a baby born to someone else there in the, in the royal household? Have they already uh, got plans to name the child Emmanuel? What, what exactly does Isaiah's prophecy mean for Ahaz? It's not really clear. 
And in fact, maybe it's, it's kind of vague on purpose that sort of Isaiah is, is, is sort of inviting Ahaz to, to trust in God. Or, or it may be that, that, that like children, not just any child, but, but maybe all children, right? That, that children are a sign of God's continuing care, God's continuing providence. And so when Isaiah tells Ahaz, you're, you're going to have more children. In other words, maybe that's kind of like, there's going to be future generations. There will be more people to come after you. If you will just trust, if you will look at these children and remember Emmanuel, remember that God is with us. And then Isaiah says, these other nations that you're worried about, they're all going to, they're going to fall away and be deserted. That, that your future, Ahaz, and that the future of the, the people of Judea, the hope of Jerusalem, is that God is with us. Just, just look at the children that continue to be born. Isaiah is sort of dogmatic that, that, I, that Ahaz, even if you won't ask for help, God is going to stick near to you and stick near to these people. Children will continue to be born. Future generations will come, come to be. Just, just look, Ahaz. God is with us. The second story, of course, we read today is from the Gospel of Matthew, the story of Joseph. Last week we read, just remember the way the Christmas stories are put together. Last week we read Luke's Gospel. In Luke's Gospel, we get Mary and Elizabeth, we get shepherds and angels, we get the the typical Christmas scene. Matthew's Gospel is where we get the story of Joseph. Now, you know these verses well as I was reading them. You recognize them. You've heard them many times. The story begins in Matthew's Gospel where, where Mary is, is already pregnant. Like we've already read Luke's Gospel, so we know that Mary is pregnant. She's pregnant by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then Matthew introduces us to Joseph. And so, so right away in Matthew's Gospel, we're being invited to wonder, how is Joseph going to respond, right? Uh, the young woman with whom he's engaged, the one he's expected to marry, is already pregnant. And so the Scriptures tell us that Joseph is a righteous man and he's going to He's going to try to end this engagement with Mary in a way that doesn't embarrass her, right? And that all seems kind of reasonable, right? And then Joseph, of course, is met with an angel in a dream. Just like Mary had the visitation from the angel, so too now it is with Joseph. The angel comes to Joseph and says, Mary is, in fact, pregnant. It's by the power of the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, when this child is born, you're going to adopt it as your own. You're going to treat it as your own. And you're going to name it Jesus, which means uh, God saves, and so again, Matthew's such a crafty writer. As we're reading the Matthew story, we're, we're first, first wondering what's Joseph going to do with Mary, and, and now we're sort of wondering what, is, what if Joseph is going to do with this, this dream. All right, so Matthew's sort of baiting us. How is Joseph going to respond? And then in the middle of today's reading, you've got it there in your bulletins, uh, Matthew sort of does this narration, right? Uh, Matthew sort of steps out of the dream moment and says to us who are reading, says all of this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the prophet that a virgin would conceive a child and that they would name him Emmanuel which means God is with us now this is really crafty work by Matthew right because Matthew has taken this ancient prophecy that that's kind of buried in the book of Isaiah among many other prophetic sayings right that there will be a child born and it will be called Emmanuel Matthew has reached back some 700, 800 years in the teaching of Jerusalem and the teaching of its people, the teaching in the temple. And he's brought out this sort of ancient word and he says this, this thing that was said some, some 700 years ago, it's happening now. This promise that, that Isaiah made to the to, to, to people of Judea and to Ahaz, it's happening now. In Joseph, in Mary, 
this child to be born. Now, now's the time. And it will be called Emmanuel. And so again, we should be sort of waiting with bated breath. What will Joseph do? How will he respond? And of course, we are so pleased, so relieved, so excited. When Joseph wakes up, he doesn't say a word. He doesn't argue with the angel. He doesn't go talk to anyone. It says he went and took Mary as his wife. He had no relations with her. He adopted the son that was born and named him Jesus. And so Joseph stands out as this remarkable figure of righteousness and faith and of response given these crazy dreams, given this prediction about this child, and yet he follows through. Pretty an incredible story, right? I want you to think with me today that, that we've, read, we've read about these two figures, and I kind of want to do like a, like a junior high Venn diagram with them because I think, I think that's, that's part of what's going on here with Isaiah and with Matthew. On the one hand, we read from the Old Testament, we read about the story of Ahaz, and I tried to, to recount most of those de- de- details for you. So Ahaz is in reign in the 700s. He's, of course, a king. Uh, he talks a whole lot, right? He goes and visits with other countries. He's uh, very uh, outgoing in that way, and he's quite disobedient to God, right? Uh, so that's Ahaz on the left. Uh, Joseph, the story we're reading, is, is year zero, right? This is when Jesus was born. This is the end of the B.C. period, right? Joseph, of course, is not a, carpen- not a king, but is a carpenter. Notice that Joseph doesn't say anything. He doesn't speak in the whole story. Uh, and the scriptures describe Joseph as righteous. Right? But there are some things that Ahaz and Joseph have in common as well. And those are the things here in the middle. The things that are similar about their stories is that they're visited by a prophet or an angel. They have a moment of divine revelation. And they're both granted this opportunity to respond. In those visits by the prophet and the angel, they both hear the good news of the promised Emmanuel. That God is with us. And they both have a chance to respond to that good news. And then this is really important, I think, that both Ahaz and Joseph, of course, are in the line of David, which is the ancestral house of Jesus. If you go to the beginning of Matthew's gospel, remember that it begins with the genealogy of Jesus. It lists all of the kings, all of the parental figures in Jesus' history. Guess who's included in that story? Ahaz. With all of his failures and disappointments, Ahaz is still part of the story of Jesus, part of the story of the house of David that leads to Christmas. And of course, the last person listed in that story is Joseph, who is the father of Jesus from the house of David. I want you to sort of picture with me the way these two figures, these two men, have very similar encounters with God. Ahaz is given this opportunity to remember and to celebrate that God is with us, to trust in God's care and providence, to trust in God's strength and protection. And yet Ahaz chooses to go his own way, his pride, his hubris. He, he kind of creates his own path, and it, and it does a lot of harm to him and to other people. Similarly, Joseph hears the good news that God is with us, that this remarkable thing is happening right now, and that you, Joseph, get to be a part of it if you would just be willing to trust and to follow through. And thank goodness, Joseph does as he's asked. He takes Mary as his wife and he honors Jesus as his son and and the story is sort of fulfilled at Christmas. Notice how, how different these two figures respond to the opportunity to be a part of God's story. I suspect many of you, while I'm preaching this morning, are doing the mental Rolodex about Christmas, are you? <laughs> Tell the truth. What gifts have been bought and not been bought? What, what food needs to be purchased this week? What traveling uh, needs to be organized? I know the pressure is building. School is out or almost out. You've got some days off maybe at the end of the week. There's so much to do between now and next Saturday or next Sunday. Certainly it's true in our house. We spent a good deal of yesterday uh, buying gifts and wrapping gifts and getting some final cards and gift cards in order, trying to have everything 
just right for Christmas. There's a lot of pressure, particularly if you're kind of in those middle years here where you have children and you have parents and you have siblings. There's a lot of pressure to make everything just right, right? To make Christmas sort of happen for everybody, to make Christmas worthwhile and fulfilling and joyful that sometimes it feels like that's, that's sort of that weight is on our shoulders, that we are responsible for Christmas, right? There's kind of this other edge to Christmas as well. I don't, I don't know if you sense this, but the story of Christmas is so, uh, so profound and so beautiful, so intense, that it comes with this kind of spiritual pressure as well. Not only are we preparing our homes and gifts and meals, but we're also preparing our heart and we're kind of searching our heart and we're wondering, like, are we worthy? I mean, Joseph and Mary and the way in which they respond and the, and the shepherds and the beauty and the manger. and Man, am, am I really worthy of celebrating Christmas? Like, am I good enough for Christmas? Today, both from the prophet Isaiah uh, and from the Gospel of Matthew, the, the key word is Emmanuel. Uh, and it means exactly what we say it means. It's a very easy word to translate. It comes from Greek, and then it's translated into Hebrew. And the first part, Emanu, means with us. Imanu, Manu, with us, with us together. And the last part, El, means God. Emmanuel means the with us God, the God that's with us. And the, the sort of curious thing to me about the, the two stories that we read today is that we have sort of two, two ends of the spectrum with respect to the human response and to human faithfulness. Ahaz is like a total disaster, a total moral failure, a total political failure, a religious failure. There's nothing about the story of Ahaz that, that looks like it can be redeemed. There's nothing about Ahaz that we want to emulate or follow or celebrate. I mean, on the, on the list of, of failures in the Bible, Ahaz is, is at the top of the list. And on the other end of the spectrum, of course, is Joseph, uh, who practices this incredible faith and righteousness, this hopefulness, this, this, this willingness to respond to this good news and to, to be a part of God's story. And yet in both cases, in the case of the, the failure that is Ahaz or in the case of the, the hero that is Joseph, the promise remains the same. Emmanuel, God is with us. This is what Isaiah tells Ahaz and, and tells Ahaz in sort of a, a, a demanding way. Like, Ahaz, no matter how selfish you are, how short-sighted you are, how weak-minded you are, don't forget this, God is with us. Joseph, if you, if you have the faith, if you have the, the courage, if you might be willing to respond, you get to be a part of the story where God is with us. So we have these sort of two extremes and, and I think almost an, an invitation to imagine ourselves like where we fall on that line between Ahaz and Joseph. Are we someone who's, who's righteous and faithful and courageous like Joseph? We would like to think we are. Maybe we are sometimes. Are we sometimes a little bit like Ahaz? We're short-sighted. We're weak-minded. We kind of sell ourselves out occasionally. Maybe. And so as we kind of measure ourselves against the, this, these biblical figures, we we come back again to the, to the promise from Isaiah and to Matthew and to us. And, and I think here's sort of the, the secret good news of Christmas that I want to remind you of today is that whether you're a little closer to Ahaz, whether you've had a disastrous year or a hard month, whether you failed God and failed yourself in so many ways, or whether you're a little closer to Joseph and you're living a little more closely in line with the Lord, the way in which God is at work in the world, the way in which God reveals God's self to Ahaz, to Joseph, and to everyone in between, it's, it's not dependent on us. 
Emmanuel, God is with us. This is the story of God's work in the world. This is the story of God's mercy and care. This is the story of God's refusal uh, to let the world just fall apart, to let the Ahazes run the world into the ground. This is the story of, of God partnering with humanity when, when possible, when figures like Joseph are available. But this is the story of God being at work even when figures like Joseph are not available. This is, this is God's work. Which means that when it comes to celebrating Christmas this week, you, you really don't have anything to measure up to. This is the good news of Christmas, right? This is the gift to be received again. Christmas is not about how good you've been this year, though we tell children that sometimes. Christmas is not about everything you need to do to prepare this week. Christmas is about God's eternal promise. From Ahaz and Isaiah to Joseph and the angels to us here today, God is with us. And you can't change that. No matter how good or bad you may think you are, God is with us. And this baby in the manger, the story of Christmas, we'll celebrate this week. It is a celebration of God being with us. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Holy God, we give thanks that you have not given up on us. God, we confess that we often, like Ahaz, have gone our own way. We failed to live into our calling. We failed to worship you as we should. And yet, God, you have stayed near to us revealed yourself to us, cared for us. God, we pray that we might be like Joseph, that we might be brave and courageous, that we might be righteous, that when given the chance, we might respond with care and sincerity to be a part of your work in the world. We hope, God, that we could be a part of the story that is God with us. God, as we celebrate Christmas this week, as we make our final preparations, help to keep our heart and mind focused on this good news. Despite the challenges that lie ahead, the challenges that we feel within, that your work in the world is your work, that you have chosen to be God with us, and for that we give thanks. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. You can find out more about First United Methodist Church by going to our website at www.fumcparagold.org. May God bless you this week.